In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, in the gospel lesson, we hear the historical account of Jesus healing a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. Jesus took him aside privately. He put his fingers into his ears. He spit, then touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven, sighed, and said, Ephatha, which means be opened, and the man's ears were opened. And his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Now, before going into anything else in the sermon, I want you to consider exactly how Jesus healed this man. He does a lot of seemingly strange things in the lesson today. Things we haven't seen him do when healing other people. He puts his fingers into the man's ears. He spits, he touches the tongue and so on and so forth. When I was younger, I used to think that this was some odd superstitious ritual or like Jesus is performing some ornate flourishes before his healing, which seems very unlike him to do. And it seems odd. It seems like he's uh, doing something weird here, but he's not. What Jesus is doing is actually quite straightforward, if you think about it, if you don't overthink this. What Jesus is doing is he's using his hands to tell the deaf man what he is about to do for him before he does it. So he, he puts his fingers into the man's ears to tell him that that's what he's about to do. He's about to heal the man's ears. And then he spits and touches the man's tongue to indicate, I'm going to loosen your tongue. And then he groans to show that he laments the fallen condition of this world. And he looks to heaven and shows this man where the power to heal him is going to come from, which is from God himself. And then Jesus says, Ephatha, which is just Aramaic for be opened. But by the way, the word Ephatha is in Aramaic is passive imperative, meaning that Jesus is not commanding the man's ears to open themselves as if they had that capability. He's commanding something to happen to the man's ears, something that his ears are incapable of doing, which is to be opened. If not, he would have just said open, Uh, but the ears couldn't hear him. So he says, be opened. Now, the reason I'm pointing all of this out to you is because one of uh, because uh, none of the hand motions that Jesus is doing here today today does anything. It's just a way for Jesus to communicate with the man. He didn't need to do that. We've seen Jesus heal people without doing that. It's just that when he's healing this man, he chose to communicate it to him beforehand. That means that the thing that opened the man's ears was the word, was Jesus' voice, simply the voice of Christ himself saying, Ephatha, to be opened. He spoke and the man's ears were opened. Jesus spoke to deaf ears. Uh, and and even, even though those, he, those ears of his could hear nothing and no one else in the world, they heard Jesus. Nobody else, no matter how loud they shouted, could even get one word into the man's ears. But with one word, Jesus opens the man's ears. And the first thing they heard after all those years of silence was the voice of their dear dear Savior, of Christ himself. So that's the miracle. That is the power of God. And that is the power of God's word. No one has the ability to do this, to speak things to existence, 
or to change the times or the weather or their body or the world. Nobody has this ability. Our, our words are simply descriptions of what we see. They're reactions to what we see. But God's word is the creation of what we see. It puts things into action. His word causes things to happen. In the beginning, God created light not by using or forming together a substance that was there. He didn't simply arrange the particles and energy into light. He created it out of nothing. He said, let there be light. And through his word alone, all of that existed. Psalm 33 puts it this way. It says, by the word of Yahweh were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. And he spoke and it came to be, he commanded, and it stood firm. Romans 4.17 puts it this way. It says, God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is God's power. This is the voice of Christ, not ours. He speaks and it is done. This is God's power from his word over all things. <clears throat> Christ's words create and change what is physical, as we saw here today. But they also change what is spiritual. In the gospel lesson, we heard that the word of Christ opens physically a man's ears that are incapable of opening themselves. And then in the epistle lesson, Romans 10, we hear that the word of Christ opens spiritually a man's heart that is incapable of opening itself to God. This is the point. Uh, verse 17 of the epistle said, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. God's word creates faith. This means that when it comes to our conversion, how people are converted, how we were converted, going from total ignorance and unbelief in God to faith and reliance upon Jesus for our salvation, this is something we had nothing to do with. Consider that. We had nothing to do with our own conversion. We did not uh, contribute to it in part or even in the smallest fraction of it. This is something that God did entirely on his own. Just like he healed the man's ears without help from the man or anyone else, so too he converts our hearts in the same way. The, the, the thing is, the reason we can't contribute or help uh, when it comes to our conversion is because the condition of our soul is much worse than the condition of that man's ears. Our soul isn't simply wounded or injured or simply deaf to God. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. John 6 44, Jesus says this. He says, no man can come to me. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural person that is someone who is unconverted, who is not a believer, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are folly to him. That is, they are stupid to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says the false God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Even more, it's not simply that an unbeliever can't convert himself. It's that he doesn't even want to. 
He doesn't want to be converted. Romans 8, 7 says this, the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, the natural mind is hostile to God. It's not that the, the mind is willing or inclined or not even neutral to God. It is against God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. This is our spiritual condition without Christ. This is the one we're born with. We, th- that means in, in, uh, in terms that we can uh, understand, it means we can't choose God. It means we can't make a decision for God to follow him. It means we can't dedicate our lives to Jesus. It means we are completely incapable of even inviting Jesus into our hearts to be our personal Lord and Savior. This is why we don't have altar calls. This is why we don't say the sinner's prayer. This is why we don't sign the Gideon Bible with the date that we chose to be a Christian. This is why we don't say things like God converts, but he converts the willing as if our will has something to do with it. This is also why we don't teach children to sing songs like I have decided to follow Jesus. This is also why we don't sing that hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee here at Zion, no matter how much you may like or enjoy the music. The first verse says, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before you, opening to the sun above. It's saying the way that a flower blooms before the sun, so too my heart just blooms and opens up to you, Lord. And that's wrong. The Bible never compares our hearts to a flower, except in the negative to say that it's going to fail and die. Rather, the Bible calls our hearts a rock. In Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, I will give you, that he, has, that is, he has to, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Stones don't open up before the sun and neither do our unbelieving hearts open themselves up before God. God must rip out our unbelieving heart and give us a new one. He must create out of nothing in us a clean heart. The point is, is that this is what it takes to make someone a Christian. It takes God removing your unbelieving heart, your heart of stone, and giving you a heart that believes in him. You can't make yourself a Christian. God is the only one capable of doing that. Philippians 1.29 says, Unto you it is given by God to believe in him. That, if, that is, if God didn't give you that, then you wouldn't believe in him. But if he gave it to you, then you believe in him. John 6.29 says this. Jesus says, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. That is, if you believe, then whose work was it? Not yours. It was the Lord's. Ephesians 2 says this. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Scripture compares the creation of faith in our hearts to the creation of light. 
And it says this, God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Even in Acts chapter 16, scripture teaches us about the conversion of a woman named Lydia. And it says this, it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That is, even paying attention to the word of God, even paying attention to scripture, to preaching, is something that God must do for you and you don't do for yourself. Not for one moment does scripture leave it in doubt that the conversion, that our conversion, is affected solely by God. Now, I know uh, what you may be thinking. You may be saying something like, that is great, pastor, very informative stuff, but what's the point? Uh, you make good theological arguments, you show us in the scriptures, but how am I supposed to use this in life? What does that do? It's just a point in history. Is this just a doctrinal point that we're just supposed to know and then move on with our life? But what, how does this apply to me? What does it do? Well, it's not just some stuffy doctrinal stuff that is, has no use or practice in our life. It is profoundly useful. And there's three things that I think you should learn from this. The fact that God caused your salvation. Uh, the first is that you would give glory to God. Because you know that faith is a gift from God, then this should cause you to give thanks and praise and glory to God alone for being a Christian, for faith. The second thing is this, is that you should learn to be humble. Because faith is a gift of God, you should learn from this point never, ever to boast in yourself. Never think that there is some reason in you, in your person or character or personality that contributes or is the reason why you're a Christian and others are not. That should be ripped out of you completely as if you are somehow less lost or less, you're less sinful or less stubborn than other people around you. So the first thing is that you give glory to God alone for converting you. Secondly, you know you had nothing to do with it, so you thank God alone that you are a Christian, and you don't look down upon others. In, in fact, people who congratulate themselves for becoming a Christian are also the same ones who get so angry and frustrated at others when they can't seem to understand but the third reason is this, is that this should teach you to rely upon God. That because faith is a gift of God, that means that Jesus is not, the, not only the one uh, who created your faith, but he is the only one who can sustain your faith. I'm saying that because there is a harmful, harmful, soul-destroying teaching going around Christians today. And it goes like this. I'm having a difficult time. I'm struggling with doubts. My life is a mess. So I'm going to take time off from going to church. I'm going to stay home a few Sundays. I'm going to try and recharge. I'm going to rest and come back to church refreshed and ready to go. I just need time away. Zion, don't do it. Don't fall for it. 
for the love of God and your salvation. Do not do it. This is the absolute worst thing you could do for your faith, for your salvation. You, you may look back and say, look, hey, I've done that and I'm here today. So what's, what's the big problem? Well, well, instead of being proud of that, you should thank God that you're here today because it is by God's grace alone that he brought you back here today again and again. But do you know how many people have done the same thing and haven't come back? Do you know how many people I have warned with tears in my eyes saying, don't stay away from the word. Don't. Don't stay away from church. If you're plagued by doubt and worry, you need Jesus. You need Jesus to take away those doubts and worries. You can't do it on your own. You going somewhere else is not going to help you. Sleep won't take away your doubt. Vacation won't take away your doubt. Distracting yourself from life won't take away your doubt. Your faith is incapable of increasing on its own. It, it, it doesn't come from you. So it can't increase. It can't grow on its own. So your faith, you will never become more faithful. You'll never become more steadfast by staying away from the word of God or not paying attention to it. The only thing that could pierce through your heart of stone and give you life is the word of Christ, the preaching of the cross, Christ crucified for the forgiveness of your sins. That is it. No one in the world can get a word into that man's deaf ears. And in the same way, this world tries with all its might might to speak to your heart and soul and the world, no matter what it does, never can. They can never speak to your heart the same way. No matter where you go in this life, no one can speak to your heart the way Jesus can. Only the preaching of the cross gets to the very depth of your soul. Only the forgiveness of sins won for you in the wounds of Jesus will revive your dead and cold heart and give you eternal life. The only thing that will sustain your faith through every trial and temptation and tribulation and issue is the very thing that gave you faith in the beginning to start with. The preaching of Christ crucified, the God who loved you and bled and died for you and forgave you and resurrected for you and redeemed you. You need that. You need that every single day because you are a sinner every single day. You're plagued by sin and doubt every day. Dear saints, let these words be treasure in your heart. Engrave it in gold on your heart and soul. That whenever you feel that your ears are closing or close to God's word, like you can't understand God's word anymore, like you don't feel like listening or paying attention to it anymore, like you don't feel like hearing about his cross anymore, like you don't hunger and thirst for his body and blood anymore, then come to church so Jesus would speak and open your heart once more. When you feel like you're incapable of loving the people around you and when they aggravate you and you can't stand them anymore, don't run away from church. Come to church so that Jesus would convert your exasperated heart of stone into a heart of flesh that is full of patience and love and kindness. When your heart is full of anger and bitterness and rage, 
Come to church so that God, the one who called light out of darkness, would call joy to beam from your darkened heart. No matter what condition your heart is, you only have one place to go. Your heart, your heart could be in the worst place it has ever been this morning or later this year on your life. It could be in the worst place it has ever been. It could be plagued with doubt, uncertainty, riddled with anger and disappointment and covetousness, full of hatred of God, completely in despair and minutes away from hell. And Jesus still knows how to speak faith into your lifeless heart and soul. He still knows how to convert you again and again and again. He still knows how to create a clean heart in you. Week after week, how to renew a right spirit within you, how to restore to you the joy of your salvation. Dear saints, once more this day, Jesus has spoken faith into your heart and sustained it again. May God be praised forever. Amen. Hear the words of this hymn. My soul was carnal, blind, and bound by sin and never sought thee. Lord Jesus, though I ever found all else, no comfort brought me. No peace, no rest within my breast. My troubled soul remained unblessed. Of thee I ne'er bethought me. In pity then thou camest to me, thine arms to me extending. I heard thy voice come unto me and rest in peace unending. Emmanuel loves thee full well. He saves thy soul from death and hell and perils thee defending. To me, the preaching of the cross is wisdom everlasting. Thy death alone redeems my loss on thee, my burden casting. I in thy name a refuge claim from sin and death and from all shame. Blessed be thy name, O Jesus. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.